Everyone has questions. Why am I here? Where will I go when I die? Is there really truth? But not everyone has biblical answers. Welcome to The Pastor Study, a ministry of pastorstudy.org. Join us now as we study the Bible to draw closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Pastor Tom Brock. Welcome to The Pastor's Study. I heard of a pastor who preached a sermon called, What Did You Do With Your Dash? Meaning, one day you and I will be dead and six feet under, a gravestone on top of us saying your name, your birth date, dash, your death date. And he asked his congregation, what are you doing with your dash? Are you spending your life for pleasure, for trivial stuff, for stuff that just doesn't matter? Or are you spending your life for the glory of God? And you know what people don't get? When you stop living for stupid little stuff and for yourself and start living for the Lord, you benefit more from that than if you'd live for yourself. So today we're going to look at a story called the parable of the pounds. A pound was a monetary unit back then in Jesus' day. It wasn't much money either. But we're going to learn about three men, two of whom spent their dash for the Lord, and the third man wasted his dash. I mean, I, I remember years ago jogging through a graveyard and stopping and seeing this gravestone that said, As you are now, I once was. As I am now, you are soon to be. And it said, Be prepared for death. I've got a little plaque hanging on my wall at home that says, Only one life twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. So let's do this. Would you take out your Bible, turn to the parable of the pounds or the minas in Luke chapter 19, and let's pray. Heavenly Father, forgive us when we waste our lives on trivial, unimportant things. And I pray this for me, and I pray for everyone watching. Help us turn away from trivial things and help us spend our dash for the glory of God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 19, the parable of the pounds, starting at verse 11. As they, the crowd and the disciples, heard these things, Jesus proceeded to tell a parable. Because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. So let's give the context of the parable. Jesus has to tell this parable because the people think when he enters Jerusalem, he's going to set up the kingdom of God on earth right then and there. So he has to tell this parable to say, it's not going to be as quick as you think. Look at the next verse. verse nine, uh, chapter 19, verse 12. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Here's the first lesson today. Don't calculate the second coming of Christ. It's in a far country. These people thought it was going to happen right now. Turns, it's been 2,000 years. He still hasn't come back yet. Don't calculate. I mean, I had a, a person tell me just a couple days ago, Tom, I don't know about you. I'm convinced we're living at the end of time. 
Well, Christians have believed that for 2,000 years, and, and it's always safe to live like it's the end of time, because maybe it is. But on the other hand, it could be a far country. Don't calculate the timing of the Second Coming. Back in 1988, somebody wrote a book, 88 Reasons the Rapture Has to Happen in 1988. Well, it didn't happen, and if I remember right, he wrote a second book, talk about gall, 90 reasons the second coming has to happen in 1990. No, no, this parable teaches us, don't do that. Look at verse 13. The nobleman uh, is going to go, and so verse 13, calling 10 of his servants, he gave them 10 pounds, or minas, and said to them, engage in business until I come. Here's the next lesson. God gives every Christian gifts. Every one of you has some spiritual gift. Your job is to find out what your gift is and to use that during your dash on earth. Uh, for instance, I can preach, so that's what I do. But don't give the finances of this ministry into my hands because you, you'll never see me on TV again. It'll go down the tubes. But God bless Dale, our volunteer, who oversees our finances. He's really gifted at that. You want to find out what you're good at, what your gift is. Nineteen gifts of the Holy Spirit are listed in the New Testament. Maybe your gift is serving, or um, uh, giving, or uh, wisdom, or prophesying, or speaking in tongues, or uh, administration. There's nineteen gifts. Read through the list in the New Testament. Pray, God, what's my gift? And that's how you glorify the Lord. You can also buy a book called Network by Bruce Bugby. Network by Bruce Bugby. You take a little test and it helps you find out what your gifts are. Look at verse 13. He said to them, engage in business until I come. Here's the next lesson. The intermediate period, that is the time between Christ's first coming at Bethlehem and his second coming at the end of time, this intermediate period we're in right now, the intermediate period is a time of testing for his servants. Right now you're going through a test to see how are you going to use your dash. This is a time of testing. <clears throat> Here's a young man who converts to Christ and he's so excited. He's just so excited to be saved. He go, starts going to this church, and he goes up to the, you know, Pastor, I'm just, I'm so happy. I know the Lord. My sins are forgiven. When do we get to start doing the stuff? And the pastor said, well, what do you mean? Well, you know, going out and going to the streets, going to, you know, when do we start telling people about Jesus? Well, you know, why don't you go through new members class first, get to know doctrine, et cetera. And, and he did that. And, okay, Pastor, when do we get to start doing the stuff? And the sad thing was, he, he was at a church where they didn't do the stuff much. And, and what I learned from this parable is, let's never lose our excitement of doing the stuff for the kingdom of God. And no matter how old you are or how young you are, you can always be doing the stuff. I mean, I'm thinking of a lady, old lady with macular degeneration and can't see anymore. But there's another old lady of the church who called her every morning, Monday through Friday, read the Bible to her on the phone, said little portals of prayer, daily devotional every day on the phone. And, and oh, these two old women were still doing their stuff. Here's another older woman I'm thinking of. Can't even get out of the house because she's so frail. But her, she just sits there and she prays. And her ministry is prayer. What I learned from this paragraph is 
And no matter what age you are, you can always be doing this stuff. Verse 14. But his citizens hated him, this, the man that is about to leave, and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. Here's the next lesson. The intermediate period, again, between Christ's first coming at Bethlehem and the second coming, this intermediate period is a time of rebellion for citizens. God has given the sons of Adam and Eve this time to rebel. And aren't they doing it, though? I think of all the abortion in America. I think of the latest Gallup poll that says the majority of Americans now think premarital sex is fine. We've got homosexual marriage in America now. You can't turn on the TV without seeing really filthy stuff. We've got pornography all over America now on the Internet for little kids to see. And now we've got transgenderism. God has given this time period between the first and second coming of Christ up to the sons of men to rebel. And aren't we doing it, though? <laughs> Look at verse 15. When he returned, having received his kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him, saying, Lord, your mina has made five, uh, ten minas more. Next lesson is humility is rewarded. Notice how this, this servant talks. I did this, I did that. No, your mina has made 10 minus more. He's humble about this. This is the way the Apostle Paul talked in 1 Corinthians 15. Quote, By the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of the other apostles, but it was not I, but the grace of God which is with me. In other words, Paul is saying, you know, Lord, this is your mina. You gave me uh, this, and you're the one in inspiring and moving me and emboldening me to do this. So you get the credit, Lord. Verse 17. And he said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. Here's the next lesson. The rewards are incredibly gracious. A pound was not much money back then, but because he's been faithful with this little, he gets ten cities. <laughs> so, so my point is this. On Judgment Day, God is going to be incredibly generous. The little we did for him, he's going to bless us big time for that and, and reward us super much for that, even though he's the one that did it himself through us, but he's still going to reward us. And th that means these are not rewards of merit, they're rewards of grace, but they're big. Verse 18. And the second came saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. Next lesson. There will be varying degrees of reward in heaven. One man gets ten cities, one man gets five cities. There will be varying degrees of reward on the last day. There's a story of a wealthy woman who dies and goes to heaven. St. Peter lets her in the gate and takes and Madam, let me show you your home for eternity. And she gets this pretty little cottage by the side of the road. And then she looks across the street, big, huge mansion. 
Well, St. Peter, who gets to live up there? Well, that, madam, is for your chauffeur. For my chauffeur? How come he gets that and I get this, this here? Well, madam, we build your house up here with the materials you sent ahead of you while you were on earth. <laughs> there will be, you know, we're only saved by the grace of God, but there will be varying degrees of reward in heaven. Verse 20. Then another came saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. Here's the next lesson. The wicked servant hides this gift. The third servant wouldn't do anything with what God gave him. My question for you is, are you hiding your gifts? Are you using what God has given you for his glory? I know a Christian couple, wonderful Christian couple, and I said to them, I said to him, I said, uh, do you know what your gifts are, your spiritual gifts? Uh, no, he said. And I thought, you're kidding. I mean, this guy's been walking with the Lord a long time. And I said to him, you've got to find out what your spiritual gifts are. That's why you're on earth. Find out what you're gifted in, and that's where the Lord's going to use you the most. Christian, do you know what your spiritual gift is? Again, look through the New Testament, 18 gifts, 19 gifts of the Holy Spirit, uh, 1 Corinthians, what, uh, 14 and 1 Peter. Just look them up and find out what your gift is. Verse 21. For I was afraid of you. That's why I, I hid my gift. I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. Here's the next lesson. Fear paralyzes hope energizes. The reason this third servant was afraid to do anything is because he was afraid there's no benefit in serving God. But the reason the first two did serve God is hope energizes. Of course there's benefit in serving God. You might get ten cities. <laughs> it says in Hebrews 11, Moses considered abuse suffered for Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Why? For he looked to the reward. In other words, Moses knew there's great reward in serving the Lord. I'm going to do what he wants me to do, not what Pharaoh wants me to do. And Moses was blessed for that. John Newton was a preacher in England in the 1700s. He wrote Amazing Grace. He preached a sermon once about this. A man is riding in his carriage to London to receive a huge inheritance, big, huge mansion. As he rides in the carriage all the way to London, one mile before he reached the inheritance, his carriage broke, and he had to walk the last mile. But during the whole last mile, he's complaining, my carriage is broken, my carriage is broken. And John Newton made this point. Christian, we're going to get this huge inheritance someday. I mean, you, uh, don't spend your life looking at how much is broken in your life. Keep your eyes on the prize, and that will energize you to live for the glory of God. <laughs> Look at verse 21. I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit. You reap what you did not sow. Here's the next lesson. The wicked servant sees God as a taker instead of a giver. This third servant has a very low opinion of God. How do you see God? As a taker? Well, God wants to take 10% of my money and he wants me to tithe. And God wants to take away my cigarettes and my beer. And God wants to take away my... You know, <laughs> if that's the way you see God as a taker, you won't, you won't serve him. Or do you see God as a giver? 
that the reason he wants to take stuff away from us is so he can give us something better. I mean, here's little Jimmy who likes to run out into the street. And mom has to keep taking him and spanking him. Jimmy, don't, do a, don't play on the street. And Jimmy thinks, well, mom's a taker. She's trying to take stuff from me. She doesn't, he doesn't understand. She's trying to give me life. Any time I have been duped into sinning, it's because somewhere I've been lied to and believed the lie that God wants to take something from me. And I need to, next time I'm tempted to stop and see through the lie and remember, he's not trying to take anything. He's trying to give me something better. I mean, men, if, you have a, if you're looking at pornography, you know why God wants to take that away from you? To give you something better, like a, a healthy thought life, like a good marriage. There's a beautiful painting of a little boy holding a, a beautiful little toy. And in the painting, he's dropping the toy. And you wonder, why is he dropping this? But then you notice his eyes are up in the corner of the painting. And coming down from the corner of the painting is a beautiful dove. And he's dropping the toy to catch the dove. <laughs> Listen, we need to remember, the reason God wants us to drop our stupid toys that are destroying us is so he can give us something better. This is crucial, whether you're going to serve God or not. How do you see God as a giver or a taker? That will determine whether you really serve him or not. And, and one more point, one more lesson before we leave this verse. You won't take risks for God unless you know he's a giver. The reason men one and two in this parable risk things for God is because they know, well, he, he can make it up if I blow it. <laughs> the reason the third guy wouldn't do anything is because he, he thought God was a taker. Here's a Christian teacher in Japan. Doesn't make much money. And she takes her money and gives it to her mother who can, uh, who's very poor. She takes her money and gives it to missions. Someone saw her doing this and knew what her salary was and says, you can't do that, that's too hard. And her response was, I want it to be hard. She saw God as her giver. <laughs> Verse 22. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. Here's the next lesson. God isn't hard to please. If this third servant would have just put it in the bank, God would have been satisfied with that. God is not hard to please. I'll look at verse 24. And he said to those who stood by, Take the pound from him and give it to the one who has ten pounds. And they said to him, Lord, he already has ten pounds. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Here's the next lesson. The wicked, the wicked servant went to hell. We know that because of the similar parable in Matthew chapter 25 where Jesus says, quote, cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. Their men will weep and gnash their teeth. The third servant went to hell. And let me clear up a common misconception. Some people think, well, I can be a Christian and I'll go to heaven if I don't live for God. Well, I, I'll still get in. I just won't get as many rewards as someone else. No, no. Read Matthew 25 yourself. 
The wicked servant went to hell. And, and if all you care about is you, you don't give a rip about the glory of God. You don't care if unbelievers come to Christ. You don't care about world missions. You don't care about uh, bringing other... I mean, it's not even an issue for you. You've got to ask yourself, are you saved or not? According to this parable, you're not. Last lesson is verse 27. But as for these enemies of mine, remember at the beginning of the parable, the citizens wanted this guy never to come back. As for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Here's the last lesson. If you won't let Jesus reign over you, he will slay you. This is not the meek and mild Jesus that people talk about. If you won't let Jesus be your Lord and rule your life, he will slay you. That's what it says. This happened in 70 AD. The Jews rejected Christ, and God let the Romans come into Jerusalem, and in 70 AD, Jerusalem was destroyed. That will happen again at the end of time. Those that won't let Jesus reign over them now will be destroyed eternally at the end of time. St. Augustine, back in the 400s, used this verse to show that there is no difference between the strict Old Testament God and the loving New Testament God. St. Augustine said, look how strict God is in this verse in the New Testament. It's the exact same God. God is strict and loving in the Old. He's strict and loving in the New. It's the same God. So let me just pose the end question for you from this parable. Here is the question. Are you letting Jesus reign over your life? I'll close with this. There was a coachman in England many years ago. His job was to drive the carriage for his master and his wife and children, but he had a drinking problem. And finally, one day, the, the master had to say, you know, John, I, I can't have you driving my carriage anymore. It's not safe with my wife and children the way you drink. I have to take away your job. But John, don't you think it's time for you to give him the reins of your life? Well, years later, the former master is walking down the street, and here riding the carriage comes his old employee. It's kind of an awkward moment, but the old employee runs up to him and says, Master, I want you to know something. My life is going well now. I've given him the reins. The question I'm going to ask now of you is this. Have you given Jesus the reins of your life? Or how are you spending your dash for the glory of God, for Christ, for his kingdom, for others? Or stupid, trivial stuff? <laughs> Amen. Welcome to the portion of the pastor's study where we now ask Pastor Brock to share with us his knowledge of scripture and his insights to answer questions we have regarding the Bible our Lord and our everyday walk with him. Pastor Brock, my first question for you today would be, in light of everything you've said, do you believe we're living in the end times now? You know, lots of Christians say that, and they could be right, given some of the things that are happening in Israel, and given the way our nation is going. And my, my thought is this, I think we're living at the end of our nation as we've known it with our values going down the toilet. Uh, so I, I'm guessing we're living at the end of our nation, as we've known it. 
Whether we're living at the very end of time, I don't know. I think all we can say is always live as if we are, but only the Lord knows. Yeah. So do you think the second coming is coming? Well, it's coming and we'll... See, here's the deal. I mean, you, you remember Pastor Carlson. He was convinced that he wouldn't die until the Lord came and he died. And a lot of Christians all through the ages have believed that. I don't know, Jackie. All you can say is only the Lord knows. Yeah. Okay, one more question for you. You talk about the spiritual gifts and that. How does a person determine what their spiritual gift is? Okay, um, I, I should first read First Corinthians chapter 14. Read First Peter, is it chapter 3 and Romans chapter 14? I should have looked this up. There's three places in the New Testament that lift all, lists all the gifts. Pray, look through the gifts and see, oh yeah, that's me. Oh yeah, that isn't. And, and look through the gifts, pray about it, ask other people, what do you think my gifts are? What do you think I'm good at? What do you think I'm bad at? And, and then if you want, get the book called Network by uh, Bugbee, B-U-G-B-E-E, and you take a little test and it helps you find out what your spiritual gift is. But this, yeah, Christians, you've got to know what your gift is because that's why God put you on earth. <laughs> um, I guess when we get to heaven, Will we all be equal then? Mm -hmm. Are you saying that there will be no it, distinction? Or? This parable of the, of the pounds in Luke chapter 21, or was it 19, um, uh, I think teaches there will be varying rewards at the end. If you read First, First Corinthians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul also talks about certain people going into heaven with a reward, certain people going in having lost their reward. So there are varying rewards. Where in the Bible, or did Jesus teach about hell too then? He certainly did. And when people say, my loving Jesus would never send anyone to hell, then we've got to quote Matthew 25, depart from me, you evildoers, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. That's Jesus talking. Jesus is sending people to hell. In fact, I've, I haven't counted the verses, but I've, I've been told more than once, Jesus talks more about hell than he talks about heaven. So. Well, if Jesus is all loving, why would he come to slay people? Then? Yeah, in this parable, Jesus is slaying people at the end of the parable. And, uh, it's, and, and if he's all loving, why does he do that? I would say this, he's not all loving. He's, he's the most loving being on the planet, on the, in the universe, but he's not just love. He's also holy and he's righteous and he hates sin. And if we don't turn to him to take away and forgive our sin, we get stuck in that for eternity. We want to thank you for being with us this week. We pray that God would be granting you his richest blessings until we're together again next time. And we also pray that if you have a question that you'd like to have us answer, we'd love to have you send it to us at thepastorsstudy.org. And we'd like to take it up on another program in the future. God bless, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for watching The Pastor Study. You can watch more of our programs at pastorstudy.org. We are on the air preaching the gospel of Christ because of our generous support of you, our viewers. Would you consider supporting our ministry? You may do so at pastorstudy.org. Or write The Pastor Study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota 55441. May the blessing of our one triune God Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you today and always.